Let me show you out back, and then I'll get out of your hair. The stars are insane out here. I should have brought the telescope. What do you need a telescope in the city for? Unless you're like a peeping Tom or something. <laughs> Welcome back. This is the Scary Sci-Fi Sluts. I'm Brandon. I'm Kenny. And today we have a guest star calling in from Portland, Oregon. Who do we got here? Hey, everyone. It's Donatus. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to be here. Are you a first-time caller, long-time listener? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you are aware this is not the love hotline, correct? Okay, I put my pants on. No worries. <laughs> uh, well, Donatus, since this is your first time calling in with us, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about your your thoughts on movies and, and why uh, why you're here with us today? Well, personally, I hate movies. I don't know why you have me on here. But That's no, true. I'm kidding. I knew that. Um, it's funny. So me and movies, when I first came to this country, I really, I just fell in, into them pretty quickly because it was the most acceptable way to learn about the culture and the language and I guess just the people in general. So I think it's because it doesn't take a whole lot of mental aptitude to watch a TV screen. And that's what I did a lot of. So I watched. Well, movies. when you're watching Backdoor Sluts 3. <laughs> that's, that's less mental, a lot more physical. But I. So I, I enjoyed movies really early on. It, what's funny about it is that movies, I think, in my opinion, I'm sure you guys might agree with this, is a really good formation of different mediums. It was a great way to learn different storylines, you know, when you have any sort of adaptations from book to film. It was a great way to learn music in general with soundtracks a great way to learn um i would say plot and editing or pacing and it was always just something that spoke to me even if it wasn't something i could articulate so as i got older and i understood more about film i dove more into what i liked and what i didn't like and by no means am i an expert but i think it's just something that it's easy and very accessible and it's a very great way to share your thoughts because when you find the right movie or the right plot line or maybe just the right scene that speaks to you in a certain way you can always share it with someone else and that in a way can form the thoughts that you can never form and so i've always enjoyed that so yeah big time movie person thank you guys for having me on yeah and you know what's funny is i'm not sure if you guys remember this and this is probably new news to all of our listeners all three of you um back in high school we actually all worked on a feature together called the dark equation <laughs> and this oh, yeah. was no, i remember that i remember this that. was uh, <laughs> my um my chemistry final project and it was a movie about batman that that i wrote and directed and then brandon starred in playing multiple roles donatus starred in and donatus helped to edit so if uh, any of the listeners are looking for an Oscar-winning performance and, you know, <laughs> multiple Academy Award-winning film, look we up were The Dark Equation. For, we were nominated for a few Razzies, and I think we swept the, <laughs> the nomination for that one. You know, we funny. took all, all 13. Yeah, I don't remember being in the actual movie. I remember editing the work, but I don't remember. What did I play? Because you guys, it was Bane. Which a, is Brandon, and it was Batman. Oh, no, 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 no. You were, uh, uh, 
No, you were one of the muggers at the very beginning. Oh, oh yeah, God. I remember that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you kicked the shit out of out of Brandon or something. It, it was crazy. I I really improved <laughs> on that one. I went a little. I went off script just because I I really felt that balance needed to be heard about that. Know, not gonna lie, there was um when you did go off script, the director did lose his shit. And <laughs> threw stuff around and yelled at you and cussed <laughs> at you and you know made made some derogatory terms, but every good I, movie has that. You know, <laughs> you, you need that in the workplace. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the B-roll footage. It was very yeah. popular. <laughs> the B-roll footage. I think it could it could have been shown in a lot of countries, but it was good stuff. I, I think it was the first time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember editing that one, and I also did. Um, God, what was it? It was like a Red Cross video or something. That, yep, yeah, the uh, the Red Cross Club recruitment video. Yeah, so. yeah, and then I ended up doing my sister's uh, chemistry video too, because you know <laughs> after you do Batman and Bane, everyone wants a piece of you. So I was like, yeah. okay, I'll. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll studios coming at you left and right, and I you had, were able uh, to to have a higher demand. It yeah, was crazy. crazy. I was like, it's either me, this or my grades, and I couldn't, you know. My grades were so <laughs> I take my grades. <laughs> I think I so, yeah, if anyone wants to watch a multiple Academy Award winning film or um, the the Red Cross video won some Emmys, I believe. They're all on YouTube. Look them up. And... I, think, I love that. <laughs> it was such a fun time. Yeah, seriously. Um, so clearly, uh, if you guys listen, you can tell we, we've all had some type of involvement and interest in film for, for quite some time now. So this isn't new to any of us. Yeah, I have my uh, I have my SAG card. <laughs> Just in case. No. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need sure. that. You get pulled over. <laughs> Sorry, officer. SAG. <laughs> SAG. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we're all here, we got Donatus introduced. Um, Brandon, why don't you go off and let everyone know what we're here for today? So we are going to be talking about the movie The Rental, and it is a horror-style movie, I guess you could say. Um, Yeah, thriller, drama, horror. uh, It's kind of got a lot of stuff going on. Directed by the great Davy Franco. Cinematographer Christian Springer, um, produced by Mike Dembski and a whole lot of other people, um, including Joe Swanberg, which is important. And Donatus, I'm sure you you're familiar with Joe Swanberg. Who isn't? What did Joe Swanberg do? He he was basically one of the pioneers of the mumblecore movement, and um, mumblecore for all of you who don't really know what it is, it's it's a very unique style of uh, filmmaking. That's it's basically a bunch of friends, people getting together in a group and improvising a lot of the work and um, not really working too much off of a script. Like they have general story beats and and plot outlines, but they they allow because um, because since they're all friends and closely you know related people. They allow a lot of freedom to the the actors and and all the crew and, um, yeah, it's it's a very it feels very natural when you when you watch something that's mumblecore it it feels like it's not even scripted because a lot of it's not and on top of that the the director is usually like editing he's usually writing he's he has multiple parts throughout the film and it's it was very popular. Uh, a few years ago, I don't, I don't know if it's still that styled, 
um, still big, but it's it's done on the cheap, which is usually a big feature of it. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Do you have anything to add on that, Donatus? I, I feel like that was I described it pretty well. Yeah, no, I think you did a good job there. And I, I, it's funny, too, because the whole concept, I feel like, works. I mean, a lot of comedies play off that. And I yeah. think it because it's so real and and it does come, come from a good chemistry, good connection with the cast and crew. You can't really just bring some random people together that never work together or don't know each other. Right. Say, all right, let's let's wing this and see what we get. Um, but I don't know, I'm trying to think the most recent movie that incorporated that same concept and um I don't know, I'm blanking right now, but but I don't think it's gone away. I yeah, mean, you speak of Joe Swenberg. I mean, Drinking Bodies was really good. Yeah, and it's funny that's too a good that. Example. Yeah, it's funny actually that he produced this movie because a lot of concepts from this movie, the rental, play into Drinking Bodies. Obviously, Drinking Bodies isn't a horror in any aspect of it, but a lot of the relationship, the the dialogue, the connection. I think. It's funny. I think he maybe did more than just produce. I want to. Yo, he actually me. he was a co-writer. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I was gonna say I don't think that influence is gonna come from just him being a producer. He probably had a lot more, and so that's that's why why then he's a he's a co-writer. So yeah, I think it falls in line then with a lot of his past work. Yeah, you can uh, like like you said, mumblecore works really well with comedies. I, I feel like that's where it it helps to make the the like. You know, you get good comedic timing from the actors. That's very important for comedy, but also the yep. writing has to be right. But with Mumblecore, it's like half of it's not even written. So you, you get this natural dialogue that's based on the chemistry between the two actors or three actors or whatever. And um, Joe Swanberg, he's just, you know, looking at his track record of stuff that he's helped write and stuff. He's he's definitely very good at either writing the the dialogue or initiating the dialogue and giving the, the actors freedom to, to work with it. Um, and you know, you so could argue that uh, John Apatow does a good job of that too. Cause, or even people like it, cause yeah. I love watching Tina Fey and Amy Poehler for those same reasons. Um, you put them in a movie together or any one of those sort of comedic actors and they do a great Jason job Man's of making good. the character feel real. What was that? Jason Manzukas, another improver. Oh yeah, exactly. And so I think it works really well yeah. for that reason. Uh, so so we can move along to some of the trivia, just some fun facts. We always do this before we get into the summary. So whoa, what um, about the cast? Oh oh shoot! Of course, the cast. <laughs> There's actors in this. <laughs> A huge huge cast. We got to go down this list. It's like Lord of the Rings size. So y'all buckle up. Please uh, do it in alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have my boy, Daddy Dan Stevens. He, I think, is one of the best actors today, and he's hot as all fuck. He's pretty cute. Oh, pretty cute. Come on. Those eyes pierce through your soul, man. Well, and your pants. They, they pierce right through your pants. <laughs> <laughs> and then my boy, Jeremy Allen White. Which I, I don't even know who this dude is. Brandon's like, oh, he's so good. And I'm like, I've never even seen him. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I haven't <laughs> seen him. At all, but I mean he's good. What what else was he in, Bren? Yeah, Shameless. That's about it. Okay, so he's <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so you watch probably all of Shameless to figure this guy out. But um, no, I like I like his uh, his demeanor. I'm I'm a dedicated fan for Jeremy Allen White. 
<laughs> and then we have Allison Brie, which I don't know how you guys feel about her casting. I feel like she was good in the movie. I think she's a good actress, but I feel like there's definitely a lot of nepotism in her casting. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's I mean I'm not saying I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying that if there was if there was, I wouldn't be surprised. Bro, if I directed a movie and my wife was an actress, I'm probably gonna cast my wife in a lot of my movies. I just but here's the thing, man. I just can't imagine. Like if I were directing and I had Kaylin star in a role, I, I feel like there'd be a lot of uncomfortable moments where if if you think that she's doing like a shit job or something, like how do you tell her that without sleeping on the couch? Well, I guess it helps that they're, they've both so. been actors before. I mean, like, <laughs> like I, so I think of a lot of different directors casting their spouse and or just directors in general working together on a project. And A, it's the dynamic of the couple, you know, being able to work together, get feedback, not have an issue. Yeah. And I don't know this, you know, couple and how they, they operate, but I would guess with years of experience acting and for both of them, they know how to take acting criticism. They know how to take um, directing criticism and, and they know how to be able to work within a group, uh, a cast. And so, I mean, if she catches feelings cause she's, in fact, I would I would think the fact that they're married is reason to give even more feedback. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if we yes. never see her in any of his movies again, we know why. Maybe, it, maybe it didn't work out. It is just a test run. Sorry, but... Alex, um, you're you're cut for my next movie. You know. <laughs> this blacklist here from all of Hollywood. Like, <laughs> well, uh, what's what's funny is um, me and me and Brandon kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. Didn't get into it because I wanted to save it for the for the show, but. Um, I, I watched a few interviews with uh, both Dave Franco and um, Alison Brie about the movie. And originally, when he was writing the, the film, he he had already had Alison in mind uh, as Michelle. Like I think he, he had her plan as Michelle from the get-go. And he was actually going to play Josh, who ended up you know getting cast to Jeremy Allen White. Um, and I, I think the main reason he decided not to to stay in the role is he wanted to focus more on like having the control from the director standpoint and but he also mentioned that he thought it would be really awkward playing like his i, I guess what do you say like i guess Josh is the brother-in-law yeah. to his current wife or yeah. something yeah i think he said it, the dynamic would feel kind of weird. Um, but, yeah, I just thought that was, that was interesting. Yeah, I'm actually surprised he didn't cast himself in any role. Well, I was saying... Just because... But, I mean, the, the fact that he was planning on it from the start, like, that's also kind of... All right, like, calm down, Dave Franco. <laughs> like, you don't got that much star power. I think he just wants to be like his brother. I mean, if, if James can do yeah. that, maybe he's like, well, shoot, I'll, I'll take a crack at this directing thing. This dude pumps out, like, 12 films a year. I'm going <laughs> to... I want to try to do one and see what happens. So, and I would say for the for a director yeah. debut, it's it's solid. Um, from a technical standpoint, anyway. Well, let, let's save that for when we when we start getting into the movie. I think we all got opinions uh, about that. One out of ten. That's my score. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's before we hop in, let's let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, get into some of this trivia. Um, if you want to shoot off. Some stuff, Brandon, whatever you found. 
So um, just getting into it, Allison Bree. Obviously, we've gone over this because she's married to Dave Franco. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, this was Dave Franco's directorial debut. Um, the filming location was shot in Bandon, Oregon. Where is um, Bandon, by the way? I don't even know where that is. I think it's on the coast. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously. <laughs> I love how you think. I love how you say you think. <laughs> like, how do we think? It was actually. It was actually filmed on a. I love. I love your was... hunch. You're like, you know, my hunch is telling me that it's a coastal city. Uh, I will verify this claim before I <laughs> go ahead and repeat it. Don't take my word for it. It is near water. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a river or an ocean or a lake, but I'm, it is water. <laughs> oh, um, Taylor Huss, uh, the guy who plays Taylor in the movie, the the housekeeper, the manager, he was in the 2018 uh, redo sequel, re-sequel, whatever they call it, of Halloween, um, playing um, whatever, I don't even remember the character's names, Laurie Strode's daughter's husband he's the kind of old weird white dude talks about his penis at some point that gets killed and no one and everyone forgets about him after he gets killed yeah i don't remember him honestly i remember exactly yeah, I, remember seeing that movie. I don't think laurie strutt remembered him <laughs> i'm sure he was good i mean he got cast in a great role here so yeah um let's see so bandon is two hours east of newport oh, okay East? Wait. East. Somewhere, somewhere on the coast. That's yes. not the beach. <laughs> <You said> east. <laughs> <laughs> so Portland. That's like the middle of Oregon. <laughs> Bro, what'd you look that up? What website? Are you verifying? No way. I meant, I meant, I meant. <laughs> I figured. It, it kind of matters. You, got, you had one of four options and you picked the least likely. <laughs> I messed up and never eat. It'd be better if you I know. <laughs> I could have got that at least. <laughs> uh, um, so, a uh, little, little fun fact. Josh, one of the main characters of the movie, tries the code 666. I'm not sure what 666 means. Is that like a sexual thing? I don't know. I'll look it up later. Is that like a... Okay, like look it up. Word. Ah, Okay. He tries that for the code for a secret door under the Airbnb. And uh, the composers of the score, um, I think there are two, they worked on similar movies and shows uh, such as The Lodge, which I think is one of the best horror movies ever made. So if you haven't seen it, please, please watch it. It's free to stream on Hulu, I think. Maybe Amazon. I think it's Hulu. Um, the Outsider, which is, uh, I think that's an, HBO show maybe it's stars but it's a kind of bigger budget horror series based on a book by Stephen King um, recent Netflix thriller movie uh, the devil all the time I, I do uh, fear the walking dead and Nosferatu so I think I don't know what you guys thought about the score in the movie but I, I really liked it it was very simplistic yeah, it, was good. it was very subtle and I could see it working in, in, you know, all these other movies and shows and stuff. I see them doing their yeah. thing. It, was, it felt really felt really well done, honestly. It was good choices. And uh, set, set yeah, it fit. Um, 
And then, of course, producer and writer Joe Swanberg. He's a writing god. He's worked with Adam Wingard. They actually, there's some some interesting stories about them together. They, I think they grew up in the same friend group and they did a lot of indie projects together when they were younger. They just like fucked around with, with cameras and equipment. And, and now they're both, I think, pretty important filmmakers and pretty important in the, in the film industry in general. Um, but he's, you know, he's worked on VHS. I think he did, he did VHS part two. Uh, there's a couple Netflix shows called love and easy, which he wrote. And those shows are also a great example of mumblecore, maybe a little bit more structured than mumblecore, but the same kind of vibe, the way the characters are written, the way the dialogue is, it feels very, very natural. And, um, those are great shows. And then... Uh, last notes, uh, Dave Franco, he said he was inspired by his paranoia about home sharing when, when coming up with the story for this movie. And funnily enough, he said that he, he was actually staying in an Airbnb while making the movie. Hmm. So I, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's something I'd be able to do if I like scared shitless of these crazy ideas. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just staying in an Airbnb. I'll, I check the showers all the time. Sounds like a method director. You got to gross yourself into the environment. He's very, very method. Um, all right. Well, Red Rum, I guess it's uh, time to get into the summary. So I will kick us off, and then we're all going to take turns moving through it. Sounds good. So Charlie and his business partner, Mina, book an Airbnb on the Oregon coast for a weekend getaway. And with Charlie's wife, Michelle, and his brother, Josh, who is also Mina's boyfriend, they pack up and drive out to the rental. The manager of the beach house meets them when they arrive and immediately appears standoffish and makes racist remarks against Mina. Brushing this off, the four of them try to enjoy their stay, and after an exciting night of drugs and drinking, Charlie and Mina hook up while their partners are asleep. The next day, after agreeing that it was a mistake and that it can never happen again, Mina finds a camera recording her while she showers. She shows Charlie the camera and tells him that they need to confront Taylor, the rental manager. Charlie tells her that if they challenge him, he could show the footage to Josh and Michelle. So they have to pretend like nothing happened and they didn't find the camera. Later that night, Taylor comes by the house and Mia confronts him about the shower camera and tells him they would have called the cops but knew he would use the footage against him. Taylor claimed, proclaims that he had nothing to do with the camera and tries to call the police himself. Mina tries to stop him, and Josh hears the argument, so he rushes into the bathroom and sees Taylor pushing Mina back. Seeing this, Josh attacks Taylor and beats him to a bloody pulp. The four debate on what to do with Taylor. Michelle wants to call an ambulance, but Mina and Charlie know that Taylor has leverage over them with the footage of their affair. They eventually agree to calling in an ambulance, but right before Michelle dials 911, Charlie stops her. In the time that the four were discussing their options, a mysterious figure had slipped into the house and silently killed Taylor. With Taylor dead, the group has to alter their plan and decide what to do with his body. Charlie, Mina, and Josh agree to dispose of Taylor's body. Otherwise, Josh would face jail time for the murder. Michelle is at a loss for words and storms off as the three attempt to toss Taylor's body off the cliff and into the ocean. While still in the house, the mysterious figure lures Michelle to a TV screen 
and plays back footage of Charlie and Mina's affair. In disbelief, she takes the car and drives off, leaving the other three behind. While driving down the road, the car tires burst, causing Michelle to crash. She gets out of the car and seals that somebody has laid down spikes on the road, which caused her tires to pop. She texts Charlie for help, but seconds later is killed by the mysterious figure. Charlie gets her text and runs down to the road to find her, and is also brutally murdered by the figure. Back at the rental, Josh receives pictures and videos from Charlie's phone of his affair with Mina. In a rage, Josh runs out to confront Charlie, but is attacked and killed by the figure. Mina tries to escape and runs out into the dark, foggy woods, the killer close behind her. But with limited visibility, she stumbles and falls off the edge of a cliff. The killer returns to the house and collects all of his cameras and microphones and moves on to the next property. All right. That is the plot for the rental. And we can uh, start taking this thing apart starting at the top um i guess just just after wrapping up wrapping up this this summary like how do you guys feel about the story as a whole uh i'll let donatus go first if you want (laughs) (laughs) appreciate it yeah so overall i'll be honest with you because i know you you're in love with the screenwriter but i thought the plot was definitely a weak point for me i won't go into the whole detail but structurally and tactically the movie was really nice to watch the soundtrack was really good the actors did they did a good job of working off each other and it was just really good to have them on the screen but i think for me the way things were presented maybe it was the director maybe it was the it was the story but the way things were presented felt like hmm. um i don't know shorthanded in, in some areas um, and the overall plot in itself is very simple. There's nothing super complex. There's only like four and a half main characters really to work with. But yeah. it felt like the tonal shift was not slightly jarring because there was a little, a little bit of foreshadowing that it was going to go that direction. But it did feel like it wanted to focus on relationship drama, and it did. and did a good job of that. And if all the slasher aspect that came towards the end was inevitable, but also ill-conceived. And I only feel like it's just the way that I felt it was set up. But that's just, I don't know, that's, that's subjective, clearly. So you think there wasn't enough, enough buildup for it? Like you don't like the, the kind of sudden... Well, if you go into it knowing it's, it's got horror elements, then the little bits you get before the climax is enough for you to be like, okay, I know what's happening. I mean, you have quote-unquote jump scares with the characters themselves kind of scared each other or sudden noise, or you, you have that shot where uh, Michelle and Josh are taking a walk and it pans out. And I, that, that was kind of cool. It yeah. panned out uh, with a different angle from sort of behind trees, slightly covered camera-wise, and it felt like something was watching them. And so you felt that there was, there was that. Yeah. So so that's, that's something that I I don't know um, how familiar you guys are with Hitchcock movies, but most of Hitchcock's like most popular films have a lot to do with voyeurism. He was, um, he was obsessed with the idea of voyeurism and watching and like people watching other people. 
And so that's that's something I saw a huge influence on in this was was Hitchcock. And I feel like for most of the movie, before we actually get the reveal of like who the killer is, it's done in this like such stylized voyeuristic view that it it's almost to me like a ripoff of Halloween because there there's some shots like I was telling Caitlin this there's some shots where it's almost identical to the original Halloween um and some of that has to do with you just hear the heavy breathing of of the figure of the dude while he's watching people from from afar and that's directly taken from Halloween and also Hitchcock so I don't know if you guys Well I would that. say that that's become a trope now I mean the two influences that you mentioned one is from the 70s and one is from uh, the 60s and the 50s and I mean it's not necessarily it's not like it, it stopped started again with Halloween and stopped and started again with this movie that's become pretty redundant in a lot of movies even if they're not necessarily horror movies sometimes it just pays homage to that whole stylized uh, um, scenery and tourism now especially in the 21st century is more of a obvious plot line within itself in movies you know in tv shows and now it's just more of a an expectation you're gonna get that like scenery i mean i was watching the invisible man and the oh don't spoil it no no i'm not gonna spoil it but it it, some parts of remind me of of that because you talked about how you know before we see who the killer is but that's the thing we don't know who the killer is i think Mm -hmm. we get revealed that there is a killer revealed that there is something happening and, and now we know why but we don't know who this person is there's still that element of of a, of a figure that's unknown that's still watching it's still it's still unconfirmed and well and that's why i feel like it's so halloween like it, it's it feels like almost a direct ripoff of halloween like he was trying to make halloween but not as good no it does a good uh, job of that it's not like it doesn't do a good job of paying homage or ripping off halloween it's more like Halloween got parodied a lot. <laughs> That's that, <laughs> yeah. that concept has been parodied a lot. So he didn't add anything new with the way that he, and he couldn't have done it any other way, really, with with that plot that that he had, you know, he wrote, and that was the structure he wanted to go about. So when you look at directing, there are only so many ways you can direct this plot that isn't gonna have that voyeuristic angle, that sort of creeper in the dark and unknown figure that you know mm-hmm. is there as an audience you don't know what it's doing or what it wants yet and then you later find out okay it's 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 killing people and then honestly for me that raises bigger questions like okay why and i'm not saying okay dive into the 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 mythos of this new figure but okay what's the what's the point <laughs> and that's and that's actually how yeah. i felt after watching the movie i was like okay what's the point <laughs> um and and i think with this with direct an option that he chose it he, he basically didn't give himself any option besides to rip off halloween or to pay homage to uh hitchcock and so it's not so much that it's so for me when i see those camera angles that decision to film that scene that way i don't look at it as a stylistic choice in my head as more of a a de- default in what he had to do. So so I feel like if it was any other director, they probably would have had to conform to that. And if they didn't, that would have been impressive. But those choices were predictable, if that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what it felt. And I don't know, Brandon, what are your thoughts on that? On which part? On all of it. <laughs> um, I guess my impression of it was just that, yeah, it wasn't original. Um, it was basically Michael Myers. Um, and the only thing he added to it was the secret cameras, but even that was stolen off of other movies. So the the whole thing was just a slow build and then not a very exciting finish. Well, no, I, I disagree with that. I think it was it was an exciting finish. Like the there's a lot of tension built up throughout the movie because you know all the action happens in literally the last like 22 minutes of the movie. And it's not, not a super long movie, but there's definitely a lot of buildup. And I think there's, there's enough things to tease us to the the finale throughout. Um, So I, I disagree with that. Did you feel satisfied? Cause I want to say it was a, yeah, like, like I agree with you that it wasn't an exciting finished but it wasn't i don't think it was supposed to be exciting like oh here it comes um i don't think you would compare it to like you know the the last 20 minutes of fury road it wasn't like edge your seat like okay this is about to go down but would you say that it was satisfying for you kenny i i think it was like i i don't know i i knew pretty pretty dang quickly that um you know, how, how he frames some of the shots throughout the movie and how he builds up the story. Like, he's trying to trick the audience into thinking that Taylor is the person who's who's doing all this stuff. Yeah. And Taylor's the sick dude. And then, like, I, I knew right away it wasn't him. But I actually didn't know that it was just some random dude. I thought it would be, like, Taylor's brother or something. Because he mentions, oh, yeah, I just house sit for my brother who's in California. And I was like, oh, maybe his brother's just hanging around killing people. So I think it was, it was satisfying for me that it wasn't what I thought. Um, I think that's where he did kind of a original take, even though it, it still is ripping off of Halloween because, you know, Halloween, Michael Myers was a complete stranger, just came and started killing people. Um, I feel like the way he did that was, a, you know, as original and as unique as he could have done. Um, Cause I, I did really like, the fact that after everything was said and done, the killer went and packed up all of his gear and then like you see him go to the next place. I thought that was really cool. Um, you don't get to see that too much in these types of horror movies. Uh, but. Well, well, what I would say is what separates this from Halloween? And I haven't seen the original Halloween in a long time, honestly. Um, but we knew the character that was staring at them. I, we knew there were, we knew who was looking at people from yeah. afar with heavy breathing and shaky camera. We knew who that was. Mm-hmm. In this case, and that added to because yeah, you don't know who this person is, and and you could say okay, that's so that's what I think maybe I'm I felt is that you didn't know who this person was. It was a huge mystery. You knew something was going on, and yeah, it was a, a red herring to have Taylor be the the, the person that you know that was creepy and, and weird and, and you didn't it wasn't going to be him obviously yeah but you it would have made more sense if it was his brother you know it would have made sense for someone connected yeah. as opposed to a random like even and i would say this real quick because i know some people have 
feelings about the last third of uh, Sunshine, uh, the movie that Danny Boyle made. Uh, open yeah. Space. And but here, even with that one, it came out of nowhere, quote unquote. But at the same time, it was an established character. Right. It was right. someone that was talked about. It was someone that was mentioned. He knew about this person. If Sunshine went this route, I think you wouldn't have anyone that was that would defend that third act. If it was a random, no one ever mentioned. No, um, I think it was a pinbacker. Was was that uh, protagonist's name? If no one ever mentioned him, no one even brought up the old crew, and a random yeah. person with scars all over himself started attacking everyone. Be like, well, what the hell happened? Like, yeah. so I think the relationship drama, which was sort of interesting, but I don't know. Even then, I was like, even that didn't really latch onto me in terms of connection. But even the relationship drama, which I felt maybe was the action, quote unquote, the action, and then the actual killing itself, that was an not an afterthought, but I guess the the burnout from the tire spinning. Like you're you're there for the tire spinning, you're not there to watch <laughs> yeah. watch the tire tracks afterwards. Well, that's this, that's how he planned it when he was coming up with this idea. Is he wanted it initially to be a drama that happened to end up in like a horror story like he wanted it mostly to be about the characters okay so it was gonna kind of so maybe it was just a little clunky then in how it ended up being that way because i think if it was an established foreshadowing about this specific individual and it sounds and i'm not gonna say that that will make the movie better but it made the movie more satisfying which isn't necessarily will be a better movie like if i rated this a score out of out of whatever i wouldn't say wait, 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 don't score it yet no i'm not gonna score it i'm i'm out of <laughs> okay. I don't have, we do I don't that have a, yeah i don't have a score man but if i rated it a certain score out of 10 this add-on that i'm gonna you know, mention wouldn't necessarily bring the score up mm-hmm. so but it would have felt more satisfying so the add-on that i'm thinking is obviously a little bit more foreshadowing Maybe and you would have preferred it to be his brother. I would have preferred it to be somebody, whether it was slightly and it was a quick mention, but just that was yeah. it was mentioned prior, and and it doesn't have to be someone that we've seen, you know, just like his brother. It doesn't have to be someone that we even know about, but something. It doesn't have to be someone, but something. Sure. Um, whether it was a series of murders that have happened, mm-hmm. you know, which I guess that would be too obvious. But I don't know. Like, I, I try and find ways that it could have saved it. Well, um, what do you think, Brendan? Do you do you like that it was just a rando, or do you, do you wish that there's more like backstory that it was someone connected to to the characters or whatever? Uh, well, and I forget in the end scene, um, did it show previous attacks or just the future person that he? Was I think up? it's the future. The future. Yeah, yeah that was the, yeah. that was the future attack. I, I at least actually it could be either way one yeah before that kind of like um the cold open to the friday the 13th i always see like the first group of people die and then it goes into the story mm-hmm. just kind of like a glimpse into like what we're getting into um, yeah. but then that would the, the thing about that is it would change the, the entire dynamic like we wouldn't have any like hesitation towards taylor there'd be no fear built up towards taylor which well, we wouldn't know that it was Taylor. We wouldn't know whether it was Taylor. Like, if we didn't see Taylor get killed, that still could have been Taylor. If Taylor never came in, 
and and randomly showed up just to be attacked by Josh, we never would have known that it was Taylor at the end. Yeah, so he'd be wearing a mask you, too. Yeah, it'd be wearing a mask guess, too. Yeah. And and so we'll no, we'll still think it might be Taylor. So I think I think personally if they did that end credits in the beginning. So we know something's gonna happen because I don't think this diminishes the the fear or the unknown any less. Yeah. And I don't think it, it it will also kill any anticipation because in fact I would argue it builds more anticipation because you know going in unless you haven't watched the trailer that is the yeah. core elements to this, so you mm-hmm. kind of expect it anyway. So when it does go that route, it's completely out of nowhere. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if we had that end credit in the beginning and we knew there was something going on and we saw these four people that throughout the movie we learned to maybe not like because i don't think any of them are really that likable except for maybe josh i think he was a little bit more likable than but then again oh, I, um, I don't know well that's fine so let's agree that he, let's agree that he's not that likable. <laughs> like let's agree that he's not that likable so you have four yeah, characters put your erection like, away brandon <laughs> shameless don't hate on josh <laughs> so we have this these four characters uh, as it progresses in the movie we do learn to appreciate or maybe even like and maybe they could have done a better job of making them likable but we learn to appreciate it. and so we think to ourselves as we watch them at least i would okay we know there's an earlier footage with a bunch of murders that happened in airbnbs we see these four characters clearly they're gonna fight them clearly they're gonna there's gonna be some struggle they'll have a fighting chance but like you you build up how they're gonna fight back this inevitable killer that will show up and and you you build up an idea and so the story can still go down that oh crap sort of bleak ending where no one survives it can still go down that route and you'd argue that it's even more unexpected because we're used to seeing a movie start with a bunch of murderers the main characters show up the main characters get established we like them we root for them killer shows up they fight the killer maybe one of them dies you know you have to have some kind of collateral to make them there actually be some sort of um risk and stake but then maybe four of them actually make it through and they kill the killer or they get away from the killer and the killer is still around but they live most well actually i want to i want to tag on to that there um in interviews dave franco has already said he has ideas for a sequel and at first i was like what the fuck that that sounds like such like a cop out. Sounds like such a sellout. So for your sequel idea, you just you know that maybe the footage that we see at the end, you turn that into a sequel of him going after another family or whatever. But you don't actually see Mina die. I don't know if you guys remember that she falls oh. off the cliff. Yeah, but she doesn't actually die. So I'm pretty sure if he does make a sequel, it's going to be following her, and maybe she like tracks him down or something, which yeah. I think sounds really fucking stupid. Yeah, like, yeah no matter what, that's what I wanted to see to in this. this movie. Is uh, yeah, the fight back. I don't want to wait a whole other movie for there to be pushback. So that's what I'm saying, though, is that it subverts that expectation of fight back, and so we are left with a class that I guess not all of them are confirmed dead, but all four are presumed dead, and at least three are confirmed. So it would have still had that quote-unquote unexpected ending with a bleak uh, message where no one survives. But now we've been basically not let down, but completely misdirected because we're so used to killers showing killing, main characters are introduced, 
and they fight back. In this instance, it would have still been the same route, but now there's a lot more of an emotional attachment at the very beginning because you know it's a killer and it doesn't come out of nowhere, but it still ends with everyone getting killed, no one surviving, and you're like, oh crap, I didn't, I thought at least, you know, so-and-so would have gotten a chance to live, you know, they were pretty cool, or maybe so-and-so because they weren't, you know, a bad person, but it didn't go that route, but because it didn't set up that killer in the beginning, I think you're left mm-hmm. more like, well, cruel. So what was, so who's this guy? And what was the point? And, <laughs> yeah. What was the point? Like, why did that? I mean, wow. Yeah. Over, I mean, I, guess. I, I, I do kind of like that it was because this movie was stemmed off of his, his idea of just like, oh, this crazy stuff could happen at a, at a home share. Everyone's so fearful of the government. Everyone's so fearful of everyone watching them, everyone keeping track of what they're doing. But then at the same time, you just like get hand someone two, $300 and you just stay in their house. No questions asked. And I, I, I do kind of like that. It's, it's like, Oh, this shit can happen to anyone anywhere. And it's because of our, our choices. Like we just willingly put ourselves in these situations and be trustful, but something like this, it, it feels a little realistic, I guess is what what I'm trying to get at. Like it's plausible. Yeah. Well, no, I mean it's plausible. It's a good theory, I think, but I just think it's a hard left turn from what the norm is, and I think it was a risky move for his first um, attempt. Yeah, I think he was like, I'm not the biggest fan of Dave Franco. I think he's an okay actor. I think he tries too hard. Um, but he just, to me has this, sorry, Dave, but he has this really douchey air about him and even watching all the interviews and stuff and him talking about the movie and, you know, being a big movie fan, a movie buff, I just can't help but feel that this movie was filmed and written in such a douchey style. Like, I don't really know how to explain it, but it just, when you say douchey style, do you mean pretentious? Yeah, pretentious, like, like, he's like, oh, I know that, you know, there's these camera tricks that big name directors and, you know, famous horror directors have used, like flipping the camera behind an actor's back to to represent a shift in in power, a shift in tone. And there's just so many little things here and there throughout the movie that just make me think like, dude, we get we all understand that it's your first movie, but you don't have to do all these tricks acting like you just, just because you know how to do them. Like it just makes you see, seem like an asshole. I think like, what it is too, is that add to the quality. Well, I've noticed what a lot of actors turn directors. I mean, a lot of them do that, not like that whole scope, but I mean, they need to prove themselves really early on because, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying you have to go full, you know, film school, just to prove yourself. You have to throw everything on the, on the books and say I want to do this and I want to do that then a crane shot I mean that's not necessarily the case of how you grab attention but you don't want to come off you want to come up with a bang and it, it this I don't know how this was received really I don't know if it was you know popular or not it was, I, I it never was heard well it. received by critics not so much by fans yeah and I don't know if uh-huh. it's super I never knew about this until you told me about the movie so I don't know yeah. how super well known it is but I would argue that if it comes out more you know, pretentious or maybe a little too try hard. Maybe he needed, he maybe felt like he needed to do that so he could be. Or he's known. just a douche. 
Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I've never had a problem with Dave. Like I I've I don't watch a lot of his stuff he's been in, but he hasn't been a whole lot of stuff anyway. But I, I've I've enjoyed his his work, I guess. I don't I don't yeah. think he's a douche, but then again, I don't really get douchey vibes from actors unless I meet him in person. Um and I'm sure who knows, maybe he's a cool dude, but um but I think this movie is just maybe trying to prove something early on so that people know, okay, I'm a director now. Like I, I, I think with um with Bradley Cooper, his first directorial debut was it was the uh, as Star is Born, right? I don't. I think no, uh, no. It, wasn't it something else? I thought it was. Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe it was. I think you're right. I know. I know. Watching that movie, I felt like there was a lot of stuff that he 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 was straining himself a lot more than Dave did in this movie. Uh-huh. But even some parts, I was like, okay, that's was a little much. But that's the thing. I mean, a director turned director sometimes falls into that trap it's 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 not going to be a stretch to have an actor that's always used to being in front of the camera and that's not behind the camera that's like oh crap i can do this and this and this right so, yeah I, I think it, to me it felt like dave franco was like oh while he while they were in the middle of filming or something he's he, he like thinks back to a time he was on set with whatever director and he's like oh this would be so cool let's add this in let's do it this way like as they were going that that's what it feels like to me yeah, um, I feel like there's there's not a place to a lot of the camera tricks. It's just, oh, this would be cool. Let's do this. Star is Born was his debut. Yeah, yeah, I think that Sounds was right. solid. It didn't seem it did it seemed pretty uh, restrained. For, I mean, I haven't seen any of Jonah Hill's movies, but it definitely felt like he. I mean, he has been around some amazing directors. I don't think they yeah. have been around as many, or at least worked with as many prolific director is as Jonah Hill. So Jonah Hill's from what I saw with the trailer for mid nineties and all the stuff that he did, mm-hmm. he has been able to take a lot from directors like Martin Scorsese and and we utilize that and, and, and work with that well. But Dave hasn't been around that a lot. I think he's just been around film in general and his his brother probably was an influence. Right. But and, the, but even then there's a difference between, you know, using what you've learned from other brilliant cinematographers, directors, and writers, and like, you know, borrowing from it. There's a difference between that and just like, oh, hey, I saw this person do this, so let's add it here because I think it's cool. Yeah. So overall, immediately. So it sounds like overall you didn't care for the directing. Mm, No, I think that was probably the, the weakest point of the movie was the directing for me. Hmm. Um, and then second weakest point, I think, would be... Well, I guess before I hop into that, why don't we just start going into the stuff we like and dislike. So I guess we'll start with the dislikes. Um, second weakest point for me would be the script. I think the story is good. Haven't we been doing that? <laughs> kind of, but let's, let's direct it a little bit. Um, I, I think the story, the concept, is good. I, I like the general idea. Hey, you know, it's this two couples that are quasi related and they have, you can tell there's some familial, familial strife and some type of sexual, um, like passive sexual relationship with, with two of the members. I like the idea. Um, I can get down with, with the person being a total stranger, killing everyone and then leaving. You know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I think it's, it's, semi-original it works 
what I don't like is the writing, which surprises me because I like Joe Swanberg quite a bit. And I feel like I, I don't know how much input he had in the writing. I don't know how much of it was Dave Franco, but some of the dialogue just really doesn't work for me. Like the stuff uh, kind of near the beginning of the movie when, when Dan Stevens and um, Jeremy Allen White are like doing the bro stuff. They're talking about like, oh, let's go down to the the bro beach, Joseph Gordon-Levitt or whatever. I'm like, who? Nobody talks like this. This is so bad. So it was so bad. Like, am I crazy? Am I the only person who thought that was fucking terrible? I think I met a dude that talks like that. It was like so <laughs> random and not established at all. No, that's the thing. Like within the characters that we saw, it felt a little off. But yeah, again, it didn't seem right because, I mean, at that point, we didn't know too much about everyone. We knew that Josh was kind of like a low life who, who you know, doesn't have anything going on in his life and kind of piggybacks off others. And we don't know too much about everyone else besides that Mina and um, fuck, uh, Charlie are business partners. But them being like kind of younger, hip, whatever type of business they're doing, you, you just... I didn't expect to hear that shit coming out of Dan Stevens' mouth. It just didn't feel right, you know? Yeah. Especially when they, they start tripping later in the movie. They should have done yeah, it then. Yeah, that, that would feel a little more natural, I guess. Yeah, it felt <laughs> yeah. like... I mean, the characters... Do you guys feel like they were pretty solid, fleshed-out characters? Because I didn't really feel like... I liked Michelle. I think she was the standout character for me. Um, actually, I'd, I'd say the women were, were better, better written. Um, I, I think Michelle sure. felt like a real person. Uh, all of her, you know, moral dilemmas that she, she goes through throughout the movie and just maybe it's Alison Brie's acting. Maybe it's the combination of the acting and how she was written. But I feel like she was the most like realistic type character. And um, second after that, I, I think Mina was, she was, she was good. I, I like that they mixed in a, you know, a little bit of the social commentary. I generally don't like too much social commentary in my movies, but um, with the, I, I like that the, the racism part of the plot wasn't like a main focus. I like that it was kind of sprinkled in and it, it worked to kind of develop like what type of person she was and what type of person we, we were supposed to understand Taylor was. So I, I liked them. Well, and the, the main villain, I think, was supposed to be a transgendered person, but they didn't. Oh, yeah, I remember it. the backstory of that. They had him go through. <laughs> I, Brandon, do you remember, was it a male to female or female to male? I, I think it was a double. So it, Oh, where did this come from? I've never heard of this. It's crazy. Yeah, that's why I was so yeah. confused in uh it was dealing with a lot of testosterone. Yeah, I mean, you were. It was kind of obvious, Kenny, watching it. You could just feel like the character. That that was obvious. It was written all of the character, but that's that's really not the. That's not the part that we're supposed to focus on. It's just more of a. I would say it was more of a red herring, Brandon. Well, and right. you're actually not supposed to focus on it. That's the. No, if you noticed it, you, you probably have an issue. So wait, wait, wait. Kenny. What are you guys talking about here? I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> just just joshing around, Kenny. Oh, oh, I get it. The yeah, nice. around. Nice. <laughs> you actually had me going for a second. I was like, "What movie are we talking about?" Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Any? What else did I? Well, what else did you like? Not like. No, no, no. Let's let's finish the the not likes before you get into the, the highlights. All right. Well, why don't you guys go out and like shout out some stuff that you didn't like specifically? Um, well, I, I feel like I, I already expressed. I put it in my notes. Um, I really wanted Josh's character to play more of um, the the other brother, his character. Uh, what do you mean play more? What's his name? Um, whoever Dan Stevens' character is. You, you wanted him to play more of him, or what do you mean? Well, I think they should have flipped it because Jeremy Allen White. Oh, like maybe. Josh yeah. is pretty much exactly like his character in Shameless. So I felt like it, it really didn't give him a chance to grow as an actor and, like, you know, take a different step. Oh, okay. But that, that's, that's probably what cast, though. That's mostly my personal opinion um, since I've followed him. Um, I'm sure other people won't really take anything to it. I didn't really. I haven't seen Shameless. So I felt like it was a new character. Is that the one you didn't like? Yeah, anything else you didn't like? Um, no, I think we, we mostly talked about it already. Yeah. I, I basically talked all about all the stuff. Well, I, I so I got a couple more, more quips I have that I'll toss in. Um one thing just a couple like inconsistencies uh maybe like they just didn't notice in when they were going through and in, in editing process or something but like <laughs> when when you see uh dan stevens character get in the shower with uh with mina i don't know if you guys caught this but he's wearing his underwear in the shower I didn't who know. does that <laughs> nobody <laughs> Like, Those aren't his swimming trunks. How did they not catch that? I don't. I don't understand. Uh, huh. I just thought that was. Was weird. he supposed to wear his? He wasn't supposed to wear his underwear in the shower as a character, was he? Um, maybe they wrote maybe it. Hadn't established. Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe that's character. Charlie we never takes off his underwear. Yeah. We see that's that's why they, you got to flesh out the character because we we need to know that going into it. That's now it's we can know him. That's pretty interesting. That's funny. He could have been wearing the pasties. He had to put on a full underwear. Um, let's see. There's a one big plot or kind of script script hole that I noticed was, I don't know if you guys remember, but at one point, um, early, kind of maybe in like the middle of the film when Charlie and Mina first discover the cameras, they're like trying to find out where the the receiver is or whatever and mina she says something like oh the the cameras are wireless so the receiver has to be inside the house at least and so that made me think immediately oh sounds like she knows a little bit about tech maybe uh her and charlie run some like tech startup or something but then later on when mina and josh are in the basement looking for the the camera receiver or whatever Mina asked if they know what they're looking for. And I was like, that just seemed really inconsistent to me. Like earlier you knew what you were looking for and now you don't know what you're looking for. So that that seemed like a, something they was kind of afterthought. And then also another plot hole is towards the end when uh, the killer is sending the, the videos to Josh um, he's using Charlie's phone, but I guess I don't really know how 
FaceTime face unlock or uh, iPhone face unlock works. I don't know if you're dead, will it still unlock the phone? But I was thinking like, how did he, how did he get into the phone to like text him the pictures and stuff? And actually, now that I think about it, how did he get the videos and stuff on Charlie's phone? Yeah, unless he sent it to yeah, Charlie. First. I want to see that scene. And then sent yeah, it. I was like, did he take the time? Was he like standing there with yeah. Bluetooth, like air dropping them? Like, yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Will you accept from Killer's phone? <laughs> it's funny. I mean, if you uh, dissect any, any time a killer does something that's like, whoa, and you stop and think about it, all you're left with is, okay, but how did they actually do that? Because that makes no sense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's any horror movie ever. The killer just has these powers to do whatever they want. Like, oh, I didn't know you knew the entire layout of my house so that you could pop out from a secret door I didn't know existed. That's crazy that you know that. Yeah. And, and it's just, they're all knowing in that way. So it would have shocked me if he knows Charlie's password and knows how to contort his face to look like him. Who knows? But he got in. It is a plot hole, though. Yeah, well, I guess now, if no one has any more gripes, we can move into what we thought the positives were. Um, someone wants to take it away. I would say the positives are more on the technical side. I mean, the directing... Like you said, it's not anything new. But, I mean, if you look at what it brought together, it was at least nice to look at. You know, it, it was... Yeah, it was it, it was definitely beautiful. Like, this was a really well shot, as far as cinematography goes, movie. Yeah, and the music was good. The acting was good. Or, you know, serviceable. <laughs> It was good to watch him, at least. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of, yeah, what I liked, it was it was good to look at. I, I, I kind of earlier t- to my point in the beginning when I talked about, you know, what I like about film is that it brings a bunch of different mediums together. It can still work even yeah. when one medium is lacking. I mean, if you had a movie, sorry, if you had a book with that plot, that'd be a bad book. Yeah. <laughs> It was just it was a bad book. It would not. I I would stop probably reading it really early. You wouldn't have a reason to finish no, it. No, I really wouldn't. Like I I would probably once once the whole affair thing happened, I probably like okay, there's eighty, hundred more pages of this, and I don't know where it's gonna go, and I don't care enough about each character. But as a movie, though, you can still look at it and say, okay, there's something here worth watching. So it did a good job of that. I think it. I think it was able to pick up the slack that was lacking in the other areas that makes the movie a movie, yeah. and that's good in of itself. And I would have to give credit to Dave Franco for that. I mean, that's unless he's more hands off in the editing than some directors are. I would definitely have to give him some credit for that because I feel like it would have been a worse movie otherwise. But I, I will give him credit. That's a positive. Okay. Brandon, what do you got? Uh, as far as what I like? Yeah. Like, what do you think uh, are the highlights of the movie? I mean, we get to see Dan Stevens and Allison Brie. Um, That's true. Anytime Dan Stevens is on screen, I think it's a positive. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if we'd get a better movie if we traded him for uh, Sam Rockwell. Oh. But, hmm. Sam Rockwell? He's old. A little, yeah, I was gonna say, it's a little too old, I think, for, for the, that to work. He's got, he's, he's got like, baby face. Ian McKellen's age, he'd be sleeping on set. 
Ian McKellie's not that old. He aged faster than everybody else. He just, unless Ian McKellen stopped aging and, and Sam Rockwell kept aging, I don't think he, I don't think they're at the same pace yet. But you know, he's he's too old for that. It wouldn't work. It would be a little. I, it wouldn't. Unless if we cast all the other characters around Sam Rockwell, <laughs> it wouldn't work at all. And just make them Sam Rockwell. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would wonder why. Why is this old dude? How is he in this friend group? You know how the how Taylor asked Nina, "How did you get into this family?" I feel like if Sam Rockwell was in this movie, he'd be asking Sam Rockwell that. He'd be like, "How'd you like that? What, what, what's this? Are you the dad designated driver? Like, what's up?" <laughs> it wouldn't. <laughs> that wouldn't work. I see what you mean, though. Yeah. I see. I get why you said Sam Rockwell because Dan C- Stan Stevens, and also like the way the character is written. I I think maybe Dan Stevens is actually kind of this way, but he has this like, this persona to where he can seem really well put together, but then you can also see this like unhinged part of him just by his face. You know, he's got this look. He's got this stare. Maybe it's his like piercing blue eyes but you can just see this like demeanor and it's like a dr jekyll and mr hyde i I feel like he played really good dr jekyll because he can go back and forth he's good at showing his cracks yeah and sam rockwell i i think but he wasn't unhinged enough to fight back no not in this movie at least anything else that you liked uh not really um one thing i i want to add in i'm not sure if this is a, a positive or a negative for me it's, it was kind of like on the fence but did you guys feel that when mina josh and charlie were tossing taylor's body um i, I made sure in the plot summary to say they attempted to dispose of the body when they were carrying the body down the cliff and tried to like throw it over it felt almost three stooges to me it was like <laughs> weird and comedic like i almost expected to hear boom, 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 and when they don't succeed when the body lands on the rock and you just hear dan stevens go fuck i'm like was he intentionally shooting this to be comedic because if so it worked <laughs> But why? Why was it comedic? This is not a funny movie. Well, and that was a a really missed opportunity for a good jump scare for the the guy to like wake up when he goes down there to push him over. For the guy to wake up. Yeah, I thought that was gonna happen. Oh, Taylor. Yeah. But oh. for when when Josh has to like climb down there, which is also even more comedic. He has to go down there and push the body, and then he lands. <laughs> he like falls and lands on top of the dead body. Like I almost expected a laugh track. It was yeah. strange to me. I don't know. Maybe it felt more human humanizing in a way, but it was a little off. Only because I don't know. It. I think it comes down to like. Like it comes down to it that <laughs> it felt like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Like if they were trying to dispose of the body. <laughs> well, I think what we've established is that the characters aren't really consistent. I don't know. They need to be a certain way for a scene and then tossed out for the next scene in terms of I don't know. I mean oh, I see what you did there because they tossed the body. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um but it felt like like I don't know, were they were they that goofy? Like I mean, they weren't that goofy, 
early on. It, it just, felt, yeah, that it, it felt so unestablished goofy. Yeah. Like, it didn't fit. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, I wouldn't say it's a plot hole, I guess. It's more of just not good writing. It, well, it almost makes me feel like it, it had to be intentional. There's no way they filmed that, no way they edited that and looked at it and thought, and didn't laugh, didn't giggle or anything. Because I was cracking up the entire time. I watched this movie twice. Each time I was like almost on the floor <laughs> laughing. It was so funny. Like, especially when after the after Dan Steven yells, fuck, and then they like hurl a giant stone to try oh to push God. the body off. Like, that feels like it's out of the Roadrunner and like Wiley e. Coyote trying to kill the Roadrunner. And you hear the crunch of the rock on the dude's head. And I was just fucking cracking. This is so funny to me. I guess when you're and there's an- maybe when you're not, maybe I, I bet you, I guarantee you that when they had the premiere, they probably all collectively said, wait, was this supposed to be funny? Because like maybe you're <laughs> filming it and when you're editing it, when you're directing it, when you're acting in it, you don't think comedy. I really doubt Dave was like, all right, for this scene, you guys are going to you know, just bring out your inner Scrooge or uh, Stooge and bring out your inner Looney Tunes. And I just I want to see some of that Disney Channel humor, you know, the stuff. Yeah. Zach and Cody get into a, a little tiff, you know, throwing a dead body over the cliff. And how, how would they react? How would Hannah Montana react to this thing and do that? <laughs> or like, I just imagine that makes me think of like they go to the red carpet premiere or something. They're in a theater full of people. It's all silent, and then someone in the back starts laughing, and Dave Franco just turns around like, "Hey, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny?" <laughs> I, I honestly think it was it's a misstep. Same thing with like, yeah, I don't know. There was a lot of that in this movie. I think it happened so many times that the inconsistency became consistent enough that I was like, "Yeah, whatever." Like that's that's who the character is now. That's that's what they that's that's how they are now. And yeah, so good job. I guess if they was, you can be so inconsistent that people just expect or don't care <laughs> when you're inconsistent. So, uh, well, yeah. Any any other positives we want to throw in before we get into the kind of wrapping up final thoughts? I don't have I mean, I guess the only thing I did like was when he collected all of his gear at the end. Yeah, I like that. There's there was no um, no soundtrack. There's no score when he was doing it too. Yeah, like that was a good. Choice. That was his only good choice. Yeah. Well, I guess if we don't have anything else there, we can start to wrap things up. Um, you know, we've we've kind of all shared our overall thoughts about the movie as as we've gone on and. Um, generally, when me and Brandon close things, we give the, uh, the movie or TV episode, whatever it is, a score from 1 to 10. Um, so, if Brandon, you want to go ahead and give your... Well, and I'm curious for you, Kenny. Um, I want to hear your rating for this movie as just a horror film and then okay. as whatever this movie is. Well, okay. So, I, I gave it a 7 out of 10. And I don't know. It took me a while to even come up with that number. I was really struggling with going a little bit lower. Like I think <laughs> I initially thought maybe a six or five and a half. Um, Cause I liked, I watched this movie twice. I liked it a lot the first time I watched it, but the second time 
I was just, I don't know, so many of the little things stuck out to me. Like my entire thought process while watching it the second time was, damn, this movie's beautiful. Damn, this movie looks good. Damn, that shot looks good. The lighting looks good. The script sucks. The lighting's good. The script sucks. The lighting's good. <laughs> oh, that was cool. Oh, the script's awful. Oh, that was great. So I just kept yeah. going back and forth and back and forth. And so I think I, I'll, I'll leave it at a seven just because um, I think it was a good directorial debut. I, I feel like there was enough here to establish Dave Franco as someone who clearly has a good idea, clearly knows what he's doing behind the camera, knows how to um, piece the story together. However, there are, even though there's a lot of positives, there's a lot of negatives here. And um, so as a horror movie, this I, I'm kind of biased because these are the types of horror movies I like. Like, I really like the, um, you know, it's called uh, elevated horror, where it's horror that takes place in in a world that's... Where, where... Bro, that sounds so, so pretentious. <laughs> I've, I've never heard of a more... Uh, bro, ima- okay, imagine imagine for a second, you're you're talking to someone, and you're like, and you're like so what are, you, what are you into? You ask him, hey, so what's your favorite genre? And they're like, oh, I love horror. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And like, what about you? Well, I like elevated horror. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you not get slapped? <laughs> it's like your horror, but better. If so someone, basically... <laughs> if there's a better term for it, I, I would accept whatever term. But as far as I know right now, like that's kind of what it's been cumula- cumulative cumulatively described as is is elevated i I agree like the term doesn't really it doesn't really fit but i think it's because there's not really no one's come up with a a clear definition of these types of movies and these types of movies you like comedy yeah cool cool because i I like uh we call it better comedy (laughs) it's called funnier (laughs) comedy it's like the stuff you listen to and you watch but uh just a little, a little better just overall all right well okay i'll, I'll, I'll say how about this instead of that instead of using that term um i'd say drama movies that happen to take place in an a horror environment like i i think that's kind of what the general idea of these type these style of movies are this like subgenre of horror like for I think example, that's a better explanation yeah for example like yeah. the lodge is is really similar um uh midsummer hereditary uh it follows it's like these movies are horror movies yes but you could almost remove the horror aspect and it'd be a movie that's like just a drama that that focuses on on a small group of characters but the horror just makes it better. So well, I think the yeah. opposite of that would be the cabin, which is like dumb dumb horror. The cabin. I don't know that one. What's that? That's the one with Chris Hemsworth, and they they all pretty much. Oh, the cabin in the woods. Oh, cabin in the woods. <laughs> well, that's well, that's that, that'd be just a horror comedy. comedy. Yeah, that's satire in its entirety. <laughs> I would say the cabin in the woods would be a horror comedy, and these elevated horrors. Would, honestly, I I thought there was a term already for it. I thought it was just called like. Um, horror drama or dramatic horror or something like that but i mean it, it's it's just basically there's a lot of good movies i mean it's not been a new age thing there's been a lot of movies that have come out that or smart horror if you want to 
<laughs> that still sounds a little suspicious. <laughs> Not retarded horror. Yeah, <laughs> I watched just smart horror. You can have a half. You have to have a high IQ. To I mean, a good nice. example is um, I was telling Brandon this earlier, but last night Caitlin and I watched The Exorcist for the first time, and um, like that movie, it was made in 1973. It was really fucking scary. It was a it was a really good movie. I had my you know I had some negatives about it, but overall, it was really good. It was really scary, but in no way is it in the same subcategory of horror as as this movie was. It's it's they're like ballpark differences. And I think that's where you do have to come up with a separate definition, like a separate subgenre for these styles of, of horror movies. And so I think as as an overall horror movie, it's not good like i wouldn't recommend it to someone who who just watches like horror movies if they're looking for like you know chucky hellraiser texas chainsaw massacre that type of horror um but as someone who appreciates like movies for for more than just like the story and looking at it from like technical aspects or whatever and um i i think you can appreciate this movie more if you have a little bit of a film like understanding um and yeah for for the subgenre of horror i think it's a good movie but okay um, yeah so I, I give it a seven uh brandon um well for the lesser horror <laughs> um i would give it a six and a half um you know like we talked about there there was just a lot wrong with it. Um, my my style that I like, I like extremely scary or, um, you know, like the classic pushback of the villain and the the um, the lead character fighting back and forth. And this just had neither of those elements. Um, so it's it's definitely right there in the middle. Um, I would still recommend it to anyone. Um, as long as it's like free on Netflix, I don't think I'd recommend anyone paying six dollars for it. Um, but but it it was decent. So what was what was your number score? Yeah, uh, six and a half. Six and a half. All right. And Donatus, what about you? Wrap it up. Uh, I would give it a five and a half. It was serviceable. Woo! And not not a bad five and a half. No, not like saying it's bad. It's like. Above average. Out of five. <laughs> Out of five. <laughs> it just it made a plus. No, it's it was it was good, but I think for me it needs to have more than just a good look. Because I mean, it's the twenty first century. It's twenty twenty. I feel like anyone that's watched enough movies, and again, this comes from lack of experience. But you know, when you're ignorant about something, it can seem easier. But I feel like it's not necessarily hard to make something look good. You have YouTubers that make good looking yeah, videos. That's true. So if it looks good, great. Then you have a it's solid two or three out of ten because it looks good. But the structure, the writing, the direction that it goes, the decisions that you make in your directing, that matters a lot. And I think it elevates it to a five and a half because it's not a bad movie. You can look at it. But I have no interest in watching it again. And honestly, it was I mean, it was fairly forgettable in a lot of ways. Um, 
It's not. It's, yeah, it's definitely. That's one thing I'll say about it. It's not like it was. It was good while while watching it. Like if it happened to come on TV or something, I would watch it. But it's not like it's not life changing. There was nothing about it so unique that it's you would like tell your best friend or, or you know tell your coworker like oh you got to go see this yeah. you know. Not bad, but yeah. Okay, five and a half. All right. All right. Well, um, Denise, do you have any input as to what movie we should do next or what TV show? Does it have to be horror? Uh, yeah, horror. Horror, sci-fi. horror sci-fi, but yeah, we lean towards horror. Something mm, I can think of, off the top of my head, any horror sci-fi TV show. Oh. Uh, I did just see, I don't know if you guys have HBO Max, but Invisible Man is, is on HBO Max now. So if you have access to that. Oh, yeah. No, I would recommend that one, too. Um, I haven't seen that, but I hear, I hear it's good. And so. there's a show, too, on HBO Max, something you brought it up, called Raised by Wolf. Raised by Wolves, uh-huh. actually. Uh, yeah. I've seen that in the trailers, but... yeah, I personally actually I enjoyed watching that. Um, I'm not going to give any opinion about it. I'm just going to say it's it's something to check out. And it, it felt okay. like it really, I, it felt like a, a sci-fi movie that we haven't had in a while. Or not a movie, sorry, a TV show that we haven't had in a while. Yeah. Like, it felt like a true sci-fi. Now, slight spoiler, I guess, it deviates a little bit towards the end of the season. So it's one of those shows I'm hesitant to recommend and say it's a great show because it's, still, it's only done one season and it could easily suck the next season. Like, easily. Yeah. That's the way yeah. it's it's set up to suck or be great in the, in the next season. But mm-hmm. I don't hate it, and I think it was really good, and it was nice to watch something really sci-fi. So. Okay. I will add that to my list. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Brandon, do you have any thoughts of uh, coming up movies you'd like to do? Uh, No, but you oh, know, as by I... The way, we didn't say this at the start. Happy Halloween, everyone. This is Halloween. Oh, yeah. We're recording on Halloween. Look at that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, our fans won't hear it on yeah. Halloween. You'll probably hear it next Halloween because uh, takes. <laughs> I don't have much free time, and I do all the editing. So <laughs> maybe maybe you'll hear it next Halloween. But, yeah, happy Halloween. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as always, leave it in the comments um, or send us a message for what you think we should do next. Um, otherwise, you'll see it when it comes out. <laughs> when we get there, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanks for having well, me. On. Thank you, Donatus. For yeah, it's it's been great. It's it's always good to to have some some new input because I feel like people hear me and Brandon talk all the time, and getting a fresh voice can rejuvenate our fan base. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'm glad I can be a well, fresh voice. Yeah, Donatus, stay scary and stay sexy. I always do, bro. It'll be over soon. I promise. This will never be over. Look, this is not okay, Charlie, all right? Stop being so calm. Everything is fine. 